Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 33 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on May 21st, 2017. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com, despite the fact that I have not written shit for Game Critics in a while, but I swear I have lots of stuff incoming. I'm also 50% of the show. With me, as always, is Brad Galloway, who is the editor at Game Critics, who is probably not happy that I have not written shit for Game Critics in a little while, but that's a little bit beside the point, maybe. How are things going, Brad? <laughs> Well, I'm sad you brought that up because now it just makes me angry. I'm angry, <laughs> slacker staff writer Corey Motley. No, man, it's all good. Uh, I'm actually thrilled uh, to be talking about the stuff that we're talking about tonight. I am looking at the script and the topics we have planned. Been looking forward to the show all day, as I not always do, but usually do. There's been a... <laughs> I'm excited, man. I'm excited. I, I'm, I'm ready to get this uh, show on the road. Good, me too. We've got a we've got a good like uh, mix of games. Like you know, lately we've been talking about a lot of like current releases and stuff. But um, I am throwing in some like older games tonight, so uh, hopefully it'll be a good show. Well, see, that's a good balance because you're bringing the older stuff, and I'm talking about two pre-release games. Ah, uh, perfect. So we've got we've got it covered both sides of the spectrum. Yes, there's like a perfect equilibrium of like release schedule between what we'll be talking about. There we go. Alpha and the Omega, the yin and the yang, the uh, <laughs> Statler and Waldorf, maybe? No? Cheech and Chong? Uh, sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> that totally failed. Sorry, i got to work on that. Well, uh, as listeners usually know, we start off with a little bit of banter that's not necessarily game-related. So, uh, Brad, we haven't talked in a week. Uh, what has been happening with you? Uh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I gotta be honest, I've just been really, really busy with work. Uh, work really spiked this week, and uh, since I work as a freelance, self-employed person, when the work comes in, I have to take it. It's kind of a feast or famine sort of situation with me, and so whenever the food is on the table, I must eat. Um, so I haven't had a whole lot of time for our usual banter topics. I haven't been to any good restaurants lately. I haven't seen any... Oh, you know, that's not true. That's not true. I did see Guardians of the Galaxy... Two, uh, went to go see that. Yeah, yeah, I forgot. I had a cancellation, <laughs> and I had like a surprise little three-hour window. So I grabbed the family, and we went down and caught it real quick. It was real good. I know that you're not like the biggest superhero movie fan, but I'm a, I'm I'm pretty into superheroes, and I really enjoyed the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Everybody said uh, that this one was better. I don't know if it was better, but I thought it was equally as good because I thought number one was great. But yeah, it was a good time. I uh, just went and enjoyed it from start to finish. I thought there was a lot of really um, neat surprises and lots of laughs, and it doesn't take itself too seriously, which is great. So, you know, lots of action and lots of just, you know, kind of light popcorn entertainment. It's nothing that's going to make you reconsider the human condition, but I don't think it needs to. I think it does what it does really well, and I just uh, enjoyed it from start to finish. The wife and uh, the youngest son thought it was great, too. So thumbs up to Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I got to say, the, the uh, MCU is just fucking killing it man like they've just had like good movie after good movie after good movie and even their bad movie even their their quote unquote bad movies not really that bad so uh yeah i'm i'm pretty stoked i no interest in that one i don't assume Corey. no i actually already skipped it patrick went to see it like a week ago or something with one of his co-workers and he invited me along and i was like 
No, I think I'll pass because um, I did see the first Guardians of the Galaxy and um, I just like, I don't really buy into the kind of like humor that Chris Pratt does. And I feel like he kind of plays the same character in every role. And like, I just don't, I don't really think he's that funny. And I don't re- like his humor. The humor that he gives off is not the kind of humor that I enjoy. And I think that the, I thought the first one was just kind of cheesy. Like when they're like, at, toward the end and they're about to like do like the final showdown or whatever and then Chris Pratt's just like oh wouldn't it be funny if I started dancing ho 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 I'm just like okay this isn't funny like at all to me so yeah I skipped the second one I figured that the humor would not change that much which is fine because if you're into that kind of humor like power to you I just take myself way too seriously to be like entertained by that kind of humor so I gave <laughs> volume two a hard pass. <laughs> uh, you are too hardcore for that shit. Uh, yes, uh, yes. But yeah, you're probably smart to skip it. I mean, it was basically uh, more the same. So if you like the first one, uh, you will like the second one. That's like the totally like laziest review ever. Everybody <laughs> in the review here knows that when you pull that out, you're being lazy. But that's that's basically what it is. If you liked it, it's still great. If you didn't like it, it's not going to change your mind. But I thought it was good. Thumbs up. Um, and that's actually not even what I plan to talk about. You just reminded me of that uh, just now. But I'll get to my actual banter topics. I wanted to talk about, Corey, tonight, two two fruits, actually. I wanted to talk about pineapples, and I wanted to talk about avocados. So let's start off with pineapples. Corey, what do you like on your pizza? What what are your oh favorite toppings? Oh, my God. Toppings? Are we going to do this pineapple pizza thing? We're, we're doing it right now. It's happening. In fact, we're in the middle of it. Are we also going to do the millennials can't buy anything because we're buying too many avocados thing? Are we going to go there also? I I was going to touch on that, but I did some interesting math beforehand, and I thought it would be interesting to share that. It'll go quick. Okay. Well, um, I I personally don't usually do pineapple on pizza, but I don't care if other people do. When I eat pizza, I'm generally like kind of like a supreme pizza kind of guy, or um, whenever I lived in Omaha, there was a... a, uh, grocery store chain there called Hy-Vee that I miss dearly now that I'm in the South. Um, and they used to have a Thai chicken pizza that I really liked, but there was no pineapple or anything on it. So I, I don't mind pineapple. I don't usually get it on pizza, but if it's there, I don't really care either way. I know that's a really like lazy um, thing to say, but I mean, that's just sort of how I feel about it, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, how you feel is how you feel and that's fine. I mean, I totally respect that. I like all sorts of pizza. I'm a I am a, uh, you know, anything except mushrooms, because mushrooms are fucking disgusting and nasty. So other than that, I'm open. But I'm just, I got to say, I'm really surprised by how many people seem to have like a really like violent reaction. If you are one of the people who either likes pineapple on some pizza, not necessarily all pizza, or if you're one of those people like you who just, you know, whatevs, don't care. Like there's like a certain contingent of people who just fucking flip the fuck out if you say that you like have pineapple. Like these people are just like pineapple doesn't belong on pizza ever no 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 you can't and they like the the knives come out and they start stabbing people i'm like what the fuck what since when does anybody fucking care what anybody else is eating like why is this even a thing like i don't understand why people are so mad about it so if you're one of those people that like gets really pissed off that somebody else is eating pineapple and they're not even like showing it to you or shoving it in your mouth i mean you're not even interacting with the pizza like fuck off (laughs) <laughs> Who cares what other people have on their pizza? Like, seriously, I just, it's so weird. Like, I don't know what triggered it, but like, man, there was like about a week. It was like last week. I think it was like every other tweet was like, Oh God, like all these different vomiting memes and all these angry memes about pineapples on pizza. Like, fuck off. If you want whatever you want on your pizza, just have it. It doesn't matter. Like, and if you don't want it on yours, don't have it. Simple problem fucking solved. Ugh. Anyway, 
Um, moving on to avocados. Yes, this is definitely touching on the millennials and avocados thing. I mean, for I mean, I'm sure everybody listening to the show probably knows, but just as a quick recap, some fucking rich douchebag in Australia, and he's not even the first one either, but like it's become this kind of like really easy target for um rich people and baby boomers to like you know, like like get on top of millennials' backs and say, you guys are lazy or you're spending your money on stupid things, and if you guys would just, you know, get your shit together, you'd be able to buy a house, which I think is completely not true. Like it totally shows this like gigantic misunderstanding, basic misunderstanding of what life is like for people who are not rich and who are not baby boomers. It just shows these people are really out of touch and really disrespectful to um, the generations that are coming after them. I really fucking hate it. Um, So anyway, this douchebag in uh, Australia, he's some kind of a millionaire. And, you know, like many millionaires, not all, not all of them, but many millionaires don't seem to realize, like, they get rich off of, like, number one, paying people pennies that are doing all the real work for them. And number two, they usually get these giant loans from their parents to start them off. You know, fucking Donald Trump, you know, got, like, a million-dollar loan from his dad to start off some business when he was younger. And he's like, oh, whatever, just a couple bucks, a little loan. I think a million dollars is a lot of money. This guy, Mr., uh, who brought up the avocados, he got, you know, several hundred thousand dollars loan from his dad and started his business and act like no big deal. Uh, you know, yeah, if I had a, a couple hundred thousand dollars loan to start my business, I, you know, I could be a millionaire too. Not the case. But anyway, this asshole was like, oh, you know, you millennials, um, if you stopped buying avocado toast and put that money towards a house, you'd be able to buy a house and, you know, what's wrong with you? Stop buying avocados, blah, blah, blah. Um, okay, so fucker, let's just, I did the math and I've seen other people do the math, which is kind of what inspired me to do my own math. I looked around and I love avocados. I think avocados are great. I have them, you know, I don't know, whenever they're in season, it's not like I buy them all the time, but I have them. Uh, and I did the math. So if I was to buy, now this is like a, like low, low median house in Seattle. Probably, I I probably even undervalued the house. Uh, I went for something that was about $600,000, which is around here is not really that realistic. Most houses are more than that. Um, plenty of houses are in the million plus range around here, uh, which is probably why I will never be able to afford one. But if I, uh, took one of those houses, let's say that I was going to buy a house that was $600,000, and instead of buying avocados, which I will, you know, be conservative and say if I bought an avocado for two bucks, I don't buy them for more than two bucks. In fact, I'd never even pay two bucks, but let's just, let's go with two bucks because it's a round number. If I stopped buying, let's say I bought one avocado a day during the week, right, or whatever, and then I multiplied that, and if I took all the avocado money that I would be saving by not buying avocados, it would take me 1,250 years to save up enough money to buy a motherfucking house. So you know what? In light of that timeline, I'm just going to fucking have avocados. It's it, it just Avocados have nothing to do with houses, with the financial reality of people uh, coming up in America now. It has nothing to do with working hard or, you know, depriving yourself of this little green fruit to get ahead in the world. It's fucking stupid, and I wish people would stop talking about it. So... I'm going to continue to have avocados because even if I don't, it's not going to get me into a house any quicker. And to people who keep bringing it up, just fuck off. Yes. So fuck off, Brad, because you just brought it up for like 10 minutes of our show. But on the other side, I was I was defending people who eat avocados. And I promise that'll be the last time I bring it up. Good, because I cannot believe we just donated like 12 minutes of airtime to talking about pineapples and avocados on the show. You're killing me, Brad. It was more like nine minutes. Come on. <laughs> That's all my banter, dude. What do you got? Okay. I, uh, I've had like the most boring life ever for the past week. Um, I, I have, in fact, I think photographed some people since 
we last talked, but I'm not going to talk about that because I mention every week that that's like the only thing I do. But I actually want to talk about TV for a second here, which is new because usually you're the one talking about TV and Netflix and I'm the one who's maybe seen a movie and that's it. But uh, uh, Brad, are you familiar with the Netflix series Master of None? I have heard of it, but I have not seen it. I know I kind of generally know what it's about, but no, I have not caught it yet. Okay, it is um, uh, Aziz Ansari, I hope I said his name right, I feel like I mispronounce it every time, um, who kind of became famous on Parks and Rec, I believe. Um, it's his show on Netflix, he uh, created it, and he like co-writes, and uh, I think he co-writes almost every single episode, and he directs a lot of them as well. It's sort of like... Kind of like what Lena Dunham is to girls on HBO, he is to uh, Master of None on Netflix. That's sort of how I equate it. And the shows are have follow similar themes, too, because basically it's about, like, a dude trying to, like, make it in New York, kind of. So the, the premise of the show basically is that he plays a character named Dev, and he is an Indian, Indian-American. He lives in New York, and he's, like, trying to be an actor— and uh or he he kind of does like freelance acting gigs and it's basically just like a show about him like exploring his 20s or his like late 20s and like you know love and relationships and work and blah 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 and his friends and all that stuff i thought the first season was good um not like fantastically amazing or anything but it's good i like that it's very minority driven like you know he is an indian american on the show and his like group of friends, like one of his best girlfriends is like a black lesbian and there's like an Asian guy on the show and like his, his like best guy friend is like this really like husky white dude. And so, you know, it's nice cause he's not like some like fit, like athletic dude, like heartthrob. So, uh, it's cool cause it's very, um, you know, like minority driven and stuff. Um, so I started watching season two because Netflix just dropped like a bunch of new seasons of shows the past few weeks, which is kind of irritating because now I feel like I need to watch all of them and I'm still trying to like work through Star Trek and everything. So here we are. But they dropped uh, Master of None season two and everybody on the internet is like, oh, the show is so great. It's a masterpiece. It's so much like it's even better than season one. And I'm only on episode two of Master of None season two, so I can't give like a full on opinion about it. But so far, I think it's kind of like, I mean, it's good, but I don't think it's that great. Like I, it's one of those shows where I have to do like a lot of suspension of disbelief for it because at the very, uh, this is a spoiler for season one. So if you haven't seen it and you're interested, fast forward like 10 seconds. At the end of season one, he leaves New York to go to Italy to uh to pursue like a pasta making um like apprenticeship kind of thing um and it's very like an on a whim decision at the end of season one and so season two starts and he's like in italy and he's like doing his like internship like apprentice thing like making pasta at this italian pasta house or whatever and he's there by himself and he you know has a couple friends and he's like eating at like kind of nice restaurants and doing all this stuff and then by the uh, end of episode two he like the last like 10 minutes of episode two he's like he like goes back to new york and he his apartment is just like magically waiting for him and i it's one of those things where you just kind of have to like give up the idea of like money in a show but i have a really hard time with it because the show kind of sets him up to be like a sort of struggling like trying to get acting gigs but can't get anything good um you know dude living in new york and as we all know new york is like one of the most expensive places to live in the united states and 
I just like find it very hard to believe that he could just like take off for like a summer or like a month or two and like do this like apprenticeship thing in Italy and then just like magically have his have his like apartment waiting for him when he gets to like when he decides to come back to New York like how did he pay for that and when he gets back to New York his like acting agent calls him and is like oh I have a gig for you and all of a sudden he's like the host of like a Food Network type show and it just like and like the show just takes a lot of leaps and I don't really appreciate that and it also is occasionally like awkwardly written and awkwardly acted and like awkwardly directed and I just have to like do some like major like suspension of disbelief things with it and I don't know I I feel like I'm just rambling about the show but I mean I think it's still pretty good but I don't think it's like as like everybody on Twitter is like oh it's just a masterpiece oh it's uh, so much better than season one and I'm just like, are we watching the same show? Because I like it, but like, how can all of you guys like suspend all of your disbelief for this kind of crap in a TV show that I can't? But this is also why I can't have nice things because I like overanalyze everything and like tear everything apart. So I, it's probably more my problem than everybody else's problem, to be honest. It's interesting that you bring that up because, uh, you know, I have not seen Master of None, like I said, but. I actually think that exact same thing whenever I watch any show and whenever I hit a show where I just feel like, well, just kind of like you said, like, I mean, it's suspension of disbelief, but it's like if the show was a real situation, like it just wouldn't even happen. Like, you know, uh, I would, I will constantly like look at people's apartments and go like, oh, uh, you guys are two struggling waitresses and like you barely are making a minimum wage. There's no way you could have this apartment. Like, like, you know, they take away so many of the real world considerations to like make the show happen and I get that it's fiction and I get that it's entertainment and stuff, but like it really bugs me. And like, I don't know that it necessarily um, will completely take me out of a show, but like there's been more than like, I, I can't put it out of my head. Like I used to watch, um, uh, God, I mean, just so many things like where you would like watch it, like, you know, friends, I think I didn't watch friends, but that was a good example because my wife watched it sometimes. And like the apartment they had, nobody ever worked. It was like, all they ever talked about was like their own relationships and stuff. And I get that was the point of the show, but like, I really kind of want to see people who are like struggling with like real life and then able to like laugh in, in, in on top of real life or to have a life on top of like the work and stuff. I, you know, cause that's like the reality that so many of us face. And like, when you take that much reality out, I kind of like devalues um, just the show. And I, I just like, you, like kind of like you, I just don't buy into it as much and maybe I'll watch, maybe I'll laugh, but it's not going to be something that I come back to, or it's not going to be something that I really enjoy that much. So I think that's kind of why I, um, or at least one reason why I kind of tend towards um you know sci-fi and fantasy and superhero stuff because that stuff is so far removed from reality i'm not really supposed to take it for for real anyway you know so it's like yeah tony stark's mega rich no big deal or you know spider-man never has to do his homework or you know like that because it's just like it's superheroes it's so fake but like when it's real people like i kind of want to see like hey man how'd you afford that car or how are you able to go on this road trip because you're going to lose your job like you know i mean if i skip work it's like i don't get paid i'm starving i'm constantly thinking about how to make ends meet so when i see people who don't have that concern i kind of don't give a fuck <laughs> yeah and i think that's kind of what's killing me a little bit on master of none is the fact that like the show's like trying to be because it's definitely like a comedy or like a dramedy if you will but it's like it doesn't do a very good job of like the balancing act between like serious moments because the show has a lot of serious tones like it confronts like racism and minorities and like the dating scene in your 20s and you know trying to you know hold down a job and that kind of stuff but it's also just like really silly at the same time like it's one of those shows where like when people say stuff I'm like there's no way that somebody would actually 
like say that in real life or like do that in real life. Like there's a scene in episode two where they're all at an outdoor wedding in Italy and like it starts like sprinkling outside and raining and the bride is like, oh, it's raining. Why don't we all jump in this pool? And like everybody in the wedding party and the and the crowd just like jumps in this pool that's like next to the like the wedding site. And I was like, okay, like would anybody actually do that? And like, I don't know. It's just weird. And I'm sure that the season will get better because I mean... It's kind of like, because season one, I remember it being kind of up and down too, but I'm just like, I, I don't know. I, it's just one of those things, and I know you do this too, where like everybody on Twitter is like raving about something, and I feel like you and I are always like the people that are like, is it as good as everybody's talking about though? And that's totally how I feel about the show. Yeah, there's definitely kind of a mob mentality thing that happens, especially when you're in certain circles on Twitter, where if like somebody that's, you know, quote unquote popular or whatever, likes a certain thing, then all of a sudden people who want to be like that person like that same thing. And, you know, all, and then, and then before you know it, it's either like this total dog pile of like, you know, like everybody's hates the same thing or everybody loves the same thing without anybody really saying, Oh, well it's so-and-so this, or, you know, having more balanced view, like it just doesn't happen that often. And then you come back six months later after that initial wave has passed and then people are like, Oh yeah, it was okay. Or it wasn't all bad or whatever. I mean, you know, the, the best example in recent memory is, um, what's that fucking, uh, show where everybody stole the font stranger things. <clears throat> God, I was like, I thought that was the most overrated show like in history and like, nobody would shut up about it. I was like, Oh my God, everybody that I talked to was just raving and raving. It was the best thing ever. Oh my God. I love it. I couldn't stop watching it. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, this is just not a good show. Like, it's just not like it's poorly written. It's poorly scripted. Uh, you know, it's cute. And the eighties nostalgia is great, but it's not that great. But that show had like major momentum. Like everybody in the world, like could not stop gushing. So this very well could be another stranger thing situation. I mean, I, I can't say I haven't seen it, but you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Well, at the end of the day, I still recommend the show. So, I mean, Brad, if you're ever interested in watching a drama about a dude trying to figure out his life in New York City, I do recommend it. But um, yeah, it's not as great as, I don't know, everybody would lead you to believe on the internet, I guess. But then again, very little is, I suppose. Yeah, I was just going to say what is, you know, seriously. <laughs> Um, well, I think that's all I have to say. I just bitched about a TV show for like 10 minutes. So um, do you want to talk about games? I think we should talk about games. All right, let's talk about games. I um, I put myself first on the script because I'm selfish after my banter. I tried to like reorganize it so that you could go first, but I couldn't get it to work out. So Yeah, I noticed you were kind of hogging the first <laughs> hour. Yeah, I saw that. But go ahead, please, by all means, go ahead. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, I want to talk about Narcosis, first of all, um, just like an update, because last week I talked about Narcosis a lot. Um, and I was talking about, about spider crabs. Oh my a lot. God. Okay. So speaking of spider crabs. So, okay. So one of the cool things about being writing for a game site and reviewing games and stuff is that a lot of, I mean, I don't have to tell you this, but like a lot of indie games exist out there, like, you know, but millions of indie games and everybody's trying to get, you know, their game noticed or pe for people to play their game, or they're trying to like build a community around their game. And like, Narcosis is one of those situations because I, um, like, I love a good indie game. One of my favorite things ever writing for game critics is just finding a game that I've never heard of when you, like, when uh, a review list comes out and, like, looking it up and being like, all right, this looks interesting. I'm game. I'll play it. And then, like, totally being pleasantly surprised by it. It happened, it's already happened three times this year. Candleman being the first, uh, Kona being the second, and now Narcosis being the third. I didn't know shit about those games before I went in to play them. And I came out, uh, 
liking or even loving a little bit, um, all of them. So I'd been tweeting about Narcosis while playing it, and the developer's uh, Twitter handle, HonorCode, that's the developer's name and their Twitter handle, they had been, you know, like favoriting some of my tweets or stuff like that, which is really neat. um, Because sometimes that's cool and sometimes it's weird, but I thought it was cool in the situation. And uh, when I had tweeted out the show last week, one of the times for my personal Twitter account, I had mentioned that we talked about Narcosis. And so the one of the writers for the game actually listened to the podcast, which I thought was super neat. So he could, and he was like real time, like tweeting me from the Honor Code Twitter account about like listening to the show and how he thought it was funny that I was like freaking out about the spider crabs. And it's just kind of a neat way to like build a little community because, you know, they're trying to get their game out there. And I'm sure they're thrilled when anybody talks about their game. Um, and he kept sending me gifts of spider crabs on Twitter, which was not cool. Narcosis developers. I, uh, cause I was like talking about how I didn't think the game was going to be like shit and how it was going to be stupid. And he was like quoting me and sending me gifts of spider crabs, which was super lame, but also really funny. Uh, but I actually finished Narcosis since we last spoke, Brad. And I have to say, um, I still like the game. I still recommend it. I'm going to be writing about it. I actually already have written about it. I just need to come up with a tagline. It takes me like five times as long to come up with a tagline for a review than it does to actually write all the words for the review. Um, But I have to say there was one section in the game that really kind of killed the pacing for me. Um, There is a part like right in the middle of the game where after the game has been linear for almost like the entire thing, because it's a very linear game. It's either you're walking in a straight line or you have like a couple of rooms to pick between to go to or maybe like a couple of floors and like a base or something. So it's not, you know, open ended or any by any means, but you get to a certain point in the game where it becomes like open-ended and I'm not going to spoil the events that lead there. I'm just going to say that you're like in like this field kind of thing while you're underwater, but you're on like the ocean floor in this kind of like open area and you have to figure out where to go. And I could not for the life of me figure out where to go. And I was like walking around this area and you know, I would go one way and that they put up some barriers. Like there's like kind of like lava E like, like heated, rocks on one side so if you go on them you like you you burn up and die or whatever and there's like spider crabs on one side and of course i was not going fucking near those spider crabs that were on like one perimeter and but i just like couldn't figure out where to go it's like everywhere i tried to go i would die or i would run out of oxygen and it was like really like harsh in the game's vibe um and eventually i figured it out but it was like it, it was there there's like a like a cave kind of that you have to go down into and there's like a spider crab ugh, like blocking an entrance to the cave and it's supposed to like move out of the way and you're supposed to kind of like follow it like through the cave and i could not get the fucking spider crab to move and of course you have to like get really close to it which was like super gross first of all ugh, and and then it like and eventually it starts moving and i tried to get it to move like four times And, like, died a bunch of times trying to figure it out. And, like, eventually it worked one time. So I don't know if it was, like, a bug or, like, I wasn't doing the right thing to, like, trigger it to move or something. But it was, like, really disappointing. And it really kind of, like, took, like, up to that point, I was totally sold on the game. And it was, like, really scary and atmospheric. And I was, like, having a great time even though it was really scary. And then I got to that part and it was, like, one of those things where the frustration of that segment just kind of like killed like my enthusiasm and my fear for the game. 
And so I just sort of like started like marching through like triumphantly through the rest of the game, like trying to figure out what the fuck to do rather than like creeping along and being scared. And uh, I finished it and I still like it and I still highly recommend it as a matter of fact, um, because I would hope that not everybody would run into the same problem that I did in that little open world segment, but I'm not sure. Uh, and I, and the game's story, which I didn't really talk a whole lot about the story last time. The game's story is actually like, ends up being way better than I thought it was going to be. So like, that's another good thumbs up. But, uh, yeah, but Brad, I just not like, it, it, I, I was just very frustrated with this open world segment and I, uh, I don't know. I don't really know what else to say about it, but it was just irritating and it put it like harshed my vibe for like the set, whole like second half of the game, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, man, I totally hear you. I mean, I have not played Narcosis, but I've had that experience many times and I know it's, it's kind of a difficult thing because, you know, players have all sorts of skill levels. They have all sorts of background knowledge or lack of. And, you know, it's, it's really tough to make a puzzle that's equally enjoyable to players of all kinds. I mean, something that's going to be really hard for somebody is going to be super easy for someone else. And in fact, I even have an example of that in this very podcast later on. Um, so I totally get you. But I think that when it comes to scary games in particular, now I don't play them very much these days, but I used to play quite a bit when I was younger. Uh, and braver, uh, and had a a a a, uh, a stronger bladder. But uh, like, I think that probably frustration is really the place that you really want to like, like more so than other genres, stay away from when it comes to the horror genre because you're really and, and please you know correct me if you think I'm wrong, but you know when you're playing a scary game, you really need the person to be scary. I mean, otherwise it just becomes like like kind of a dumb action game or a dumb puzzle game if you're not having the fear or you're not really engaging the player emotionally in what's going on, then you kind of have failed as a horror game. And I, I find personally that when I get frustrated in a horror game, I just get, I start to get mad. I start to just, you know, I don't buy into the story anymore. I'm not scared by the guys because you're probably either dying and resetting the same scene over and over and over, or you're just like going in circles, looking for the answer to a puzzle. And you're just either, you know, Oh fuck another zombie, whatever, kill him and just move on. I want to find this key to the store or something like that. And then it's just like, you just get really, you just, you're just so taken out of it that you just cannot enjoy the horror vibe anymore. I mean, it kind of sounds like that's what happened to you. Yeah, totally. I mean, there, especially because this isn't meant to be like, you know, an action game by any means. Like I, uh, it's totally like one of those games where you just like walk around and be scared. Um, But yeah, like any situation like that, you know, fear, like ultimately like frustration trumps fear and any sort of like horror game situation. And yeah, I mean, that's basically exactly what happened. Like I just kept dying over and over again. Uh, You know, my oxygen kept running out or like a spider crab would kill me or something like that. Or like a freaking like angler fish would like shove me off a cliff or something and I, I know, I know. <laughs> that is the, that <laughs> it sounds absurd. Are you serious? Is that a thing that really happens? <laughs> there's like, there's like angler fish on the bottom of the ocean and they have like the little like headlight thing hanging on their forehead and totally, totally. they, they will like, and, and it, it sounds absurd, but it's actually scary in the game. Like they will like ram you and sometimes they'll like come at you and they'll like spread their like mouth open and like start like trying to suck on the front of your like face mask and it's really scary because it's like fish throat like in your face and you have to like tap x and like stab it to get it off your face 
And if you're not facing them, they will just like fucking ram into you and you'll like get knocked. You won't like fall down unless you're on a platform that you can fall off of, but you'll like, you know, take a few steps to the side or kind of like get shoved over. And it sounds absurd, but in the game, it's actually kind of, um, it's actually kind of scary because they're like big anglerfish. They're, they're like, I don't like, uh, like uh, basketball sized or something like that. And I was, and there's like squids and there's cuttlefish and they, uh, yeah, it sounds like absurd now that I'm talking about it, but in the game, in this setting, it's actually kind of scary because what if there's like a spider crab in the ravine underneath you and the freaking anglerfish like hits you off the platform and then the spider crab kills you and then you go cry under the covers for like an hour from being too scared after that because that's like almost my entire feeling for this game. I had no idea that narcosis sets you up for a seafood combo. That's pretty funny. <laughs> you know what? Well, else? let me let me. No, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was gonna say, you know, this kind of reminds me. Um, I know that you said that this game was largely linear. Do you feel like, like this section that you got stuck at and got frustrated at? Do you feel like that was the developer trying to like throw in an aspect of the genre that they really shouldn't have? Like, for example, like when you're playing an action game. And then all of a sudden the developers want to get kooky on you and they throw in like this like really shitty stealth sequence out of nowhere. <laughs> like, do you feel like it was that kind of a break from what you'd been doing? Or do you feel like it was fine? They just maybe didn't give you enough clues or or was it was it out of the blue? I, I think their intention was like, oh, a lot of this game has been linear. So why don't we throw in an area where we have to explore a little bit so that way the whole game doesn't feel so on rails? But I think they went a little... And even the guy that I was talking to on Twitter um, said that they might have gone a little too overboard with that segment. And I think that's kind of what happened. Like, they didn't want the game to seem too linear, so they kind of, like, threw in, like, a slightly open segment where you have to explore a little bit. Because it's literally, like, the only section in the entire game where you have, like, kind of a big area to explore. And there's no, like... There's no objective markers in this game. There's no waypoints. So it's all, like you just walking around and looking for shit and it gets kind of um it gets weird when you're in like a big area because most of the game you know you're walking through like ravines or caves or through like a research center or something like that but here it just like drops you and i feel like they they were trying to like overcompensate for having so much of the game be linear and i wish that they would have just closed up this segment a little bit or dropped you somewhere else and the the developer told me um or the writer i think it was um that when you die in the segment every time you uh, respawn you're facing a different direction and that didn't really help either i mean it's already impossible to get your bearings because you're where you wherever you land you basically spin around and you can't really see anything so you have to like walk around to like figure out where you are but um, the fact that you spawn facing a different direction every time just kind of, like, adds to the frustration a little bit, I think. Like, I feel like, I don't know, they could have built something in where, like, if you die, like, three times in the segment, maybe they, like, start you, like, facing exactly where you need to go or something like that. But um, I know it's, like, a, I'm pretty sure this game that I read, this game was built by, like, six people. So it's not like it was some massive team, you know, working on it for you know, 10 years or something. So, I mean, it's it's understandable because it's an indie game. Like, you never know what you're going to get exactly with an indie game. And sometimes there's, you know, things left unpolished or whatever, which is, you know, fine. But this situation for me in particular was just uh, a little too different than what the rest of the game was. And it definitely, like, frustrated me for the rest of the game. That's really interesting because I find that, especially with indie teams, 
um, what happens is they don't do enough playtesting and like the people who make the games and you know I don't know that this happened with the, the narcosis guys just I'm speaking in generalities here um, like I notice this sometimes they'll get so used to playing their own game that they just they know it so well they're not able to look at it objectively anymore and I kind of wonder like what their experience was like I mean they obviously knew what that section was about because they created it I'm sure that when they went through and playtested it you know they tried to pretend to forget like what was going on but you know you can't unknow things like that I would be curious to see like how many strangers they gave it to and like if they noticed any problem with that um, because usually what happens is people who who make indie games they know their game so well they spend so long working on their game that they get really really fucking good at their game <laughs> and they kind of lose sight of like other people coming to the game for the first time do not have that same level of mastery and so I, I find that some of those games generally tend to be way too hard and they don't um they just they just forget what it's like to not master that game i mean like a really good example um was uh outlast 2 there was actually a story recently about outlast 2 where they didn't do very much testing and the guys who made the game clearly made the game so they knew all about the game and they skewed it like way too hard and after getting some feedback from uh people who bought it uh early on they're like oh okay well clearly we missed the mark on this we didn't want it to be too easy, and we were just too good at it, so we scaled it back. And I hear lots of those stories. Um, in in the case of Red Barrels, it was good on them to be able to scale it back and put a patch in and get it get it you know more playable for people who were not developers. Hopefully, um, the folks at the who are responsible for Narcosis can maybe take a look at that, and maybe there's a patch. Maybe they could throw in some clues or something because it really sucks. I mean, it sounds like you were really liking it a lot, and then to just hit a wall like that oh man that's really disappointing to hear but uh but overall i mean still you said still recommend still a really good game though right yeah i still totally recommend it and um i mean and who knows maybe i'm like the one person you know that this happened to maybe i'm just like a huge dumbass or something but uh i don't know it was enough for me to be like frustrated for a little while but i still recommend the game and like all of like the you know first person horror games that i've played cuz they're it's like you know they're like a diamond dozen these these days it's definitely up there i mean it's not it's not my favorite it's not pt that's like probably my favorite um but uh but it's it's up there it's really good and also i didn't realize this uh before i started reviewing it but this game's in vr on oculus and i like you know i like to think that i'm kind of like a tough guy when it comes to horror games but i like do not think i could play this in vr like i I had a hard enough time just sitting on my couch and looking at my TV and seeing the spider crabs. Like if I had a VR, like an Oculus headset on and I were standing at the bottom of the ocean and like looked around and there was like a spider crab next to me. I, I <laughs> like don't, I don't think I could have handled that at all. Like that would have been way too much for me, which is probably a good thing. Cause like that is really scary. Like that's how it should be. But, um, like goddamn, I could not imagine playing this game in a VR headset. It would be, it would be insanity for me. I uh, I don't think I can handle that at all. Well, you know, there's limits to that, and I think people are starting to do some research into that. And I know it sounds kind of goofy, but you know, I work um, with my regular job. I work with a lot of people who have mental illness and who are being treated for that. And I see like a lot of trauma and PTSD come through. And, and of course, these people have gone through a lot of really terrible situations. But I could easily see how some of that stuff would still be triggered by really negative experiences in the VR space. And, you know, har har VR. But I think, you know, people really get into those and you, you really do get immersed. And I could I could easily imagine like people playing games that are just really, really scary and then having the VR on top of it, really having some like getting really fucked up or like getting really like traumatized by some of this stuff. Um 
I mean, games are already scary enough for me, like just being in my living room with the lights on and playing games. I, I don't think I would ever willingly put a VR helmet on to play something that was really meant to be scary, like with some developer, like intentionally trying to get me like that. I just I just would not be up for that. And it's funny because uh, one of the shows that we watch in my uh, house, America's Funny Home Videos, we really like that because it's, uh, you know, family friendly. It's, it's awesome to watch people get hit in the nuts. I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't like that show, right? <laughs> and, like, one of the new categories is VR. So oh, I don't know geez. if you've seen that show in a while, but they have every week now, there are fucking VR segments where people are in their living room, and they're obviously playing something that's scary, and they, you know, they're, like, they got the helmet on, they're, like, turning left and right, and then, like, they see the thing, and they flip the fuck out. <laughs> like, they, like, do a backflip, or, like, they scream, or they, they start running through their living room and crash into the screen door because they're just, like, so freaked out. And I, I mean, it's funny because you're watching this person do it, but like, I'm sure in the moment, like they get really scared and uh, I just, I just, I'm not up for that. And I, I, I hope that developers are careful with this because I think this is an area where they can really easily go too far or maybe go for the cheap scares too much and just like, just really fuck people up. I'm, I'm kind of concerned about it, honestly. Yeah, I don't think, um, I, I don't think VR is built for everyone. And I think that it is. You know, I don't know. There's just, like, certain limitations people have with stuff like that. And uh, I don't know. It's kind of, I don't know. This is, like, a much broader topic. But it's interesting how VR is trying to become a commercial success. And yet, like, I, I don't think everyone is, like, built for it or can handle it or can handle certain things about it. I mean, not to mention it's, like, really expensive, like most of the kits are and everything. But, um, yeah, I, I feel like being a VR developer must be pretty difficult uh probably i think i would guess so i i just i just hope that they go slowly and go cautiously and not try to get too crazy with it because i don't know man i could see some bad shit happening but anyway any last uh any last words on uh, narcosis sir um i don't think so i've talked way too much about it uh probably between the last show and the show but um i mean all i can say is that uh, open world segment aside, I do give it a thumbs up. I will be reviewing it for Game Critics, so uh, keep an eye out for that in the future. Right on, right on. I will never play it ever, but uh, I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> and uh, I do not have a fear of spider crabs. Ugh. Hopefully, uh, yeah, I'll be okay with that in the future. So anyway, <laughs> well, cool. uh, shall tell I go me... ahead and? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about what you are playing. A um, couple of pre-release things, like I hinted at the top of the show. Um, one of these I think is not really, uh, anything I need to be careful about talking about. It is called Crossout. Uh, dumb name, really dumb name tells you absolutely nothing about the game. <laughs> I, as a matter of fact, I had actually got a couple of emails about this game and it was so generic sounding. I just, I didn't even read them. I was just like, I mean, okay, to be fair, I get like a couple hundred emails a day. So it's not like I can read like every single one, reply to every single one. Um, but, you know, I got a couple emails. Did This name didn't stick with me. Nothing about the game stuck with me. I just, it, it, none of it. Just, it passed right by me. And then uh, a friend of mine on Twitter, I believe it was rman5k on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken, was asking me if I knew anything about it. And I'm like, oh, no, why? Are you interested? And he's like, yeah, it looks pretty good. So I'm like, oh, okay. Well, if I'm getting some interest from somebody that I know, like if you've looked at this and you think it's interesting, then I'll go back and I will go, you know, in my email archive and I will... <laughs> bring out those emails and find out what it's all about. Um, and I'm glad that he did. Cause I really am having a pretty good time with it. So cross out, uh, stupid generic name. <laughs> it's, it's a free to play game, which is launching on May 30th. 
so the free-to-play version comes out in a couple weeks or you know, nine days or something. Or you can play it right now if you buy one of the quote-unquote founders packs, which um, I don't know why I even call them that. It's just it's kind of dumb, but a lot of free-to-play games are doing this. If you can't wait, it looks really good, you want to jump in now, you got to pay some cash up front, or just wait a couple more days, you can play the free-to-play version and not invest anything. Um, the developer was kind enough to send over a couple of codes, and so I downloaded it. It is a car combat game where it's kind of like, you know, Mad Maxi sort of, where all the cars are like, you know, rusted out and they have these weird parts strapped to them and stuff like that. But the hook to it is that you can win parts and there's actually a really, really robust car construction engine. Um, so you, you, they give you like this really beater pickup truck in the beginning. It's got like a gun strapped to it or whatever. You drive around these arenas uh, and just shoot other cars. You can shoot pieces off the other cars. Uh, like if another car is coming at you, they've got like a knife strapped to the hood or they've got like a cannon on top. You can actually shoot those weapons off to kind of disable them. You can shoot their tires to like, you know, stop their mobility and stuff like that. So that's kind of neat. Uh, but basically, it's just like a big arena game. There's a capture the flag mode, I think. There, I think there's a king of the hill mode or something. You know, it's got the general multiplayer modes or whatever. I mean, it's not too impressive when it comes to the multiplayer stuff. Also co-op mode. But basically, it's just like this giant destruction derby of Mad Max cars where you're just driving around. Uh, you can team up with friends if you want to or just, you know, jump in by yourself and the, the game matches you up with randos. Uh, it's, it's fun to play, you know, it, it's fun. It's fun. You know, drive around, shoot things, you get shot, uh, stuff blows up. I mean, it, it basically just like what you think it is, but the thing that makes it really cool is this construction engine. So the first time that I went into it, like my head kind of exploded. It seemed <laughs> really, really like overwhelming and super complicated. I'm like, Oh my God, this is a mess. What's going on? Um, but I am playing it for review. So I'm like, okay, just stop, breathe, you know, just go slow. It's going to be okay. And once I got into it, I'm like, oh, okay. It, it, it looks really imposing, but it's actually not that difficult to get into. It's actually really well done. And you can strip your entire car down to like nothing. Like you can dismantle every single part in your car and then you can rebuild it from the ground up. Like put down a frame, put down an engine, put down the wheels, put down the body panels, whatever weapons you want. And as long as the pieces can touch, it doesn't have to like follow the laws of reality or anything, right? Like as long as there are two pieces touching, so that the game knows where to like connect them, you can build whatever you want. So like you can put like a cannon on two wheels in the front and then put a frame in the back and then have like a pickup truck body behind it. So it's like kind of like a backwards car or you can have like a little tank sort of thing or with tank treads or you can have like a gun platform or that's lightly armed. I mean, you can anything that you want, like anything that you have the pieces for, you can build. And I, I gotta say like half the fun is just building something that looks crazy taking it out for test drive, you know, getting, you know, shooting some dudes, getting shot, seeing how it performs, and then just coming back and just spending a lot more time tweaking the car. Like, I'm not generally up for these kind of things. Like, I'm not really, like, a car fan in real life. I don't spend a lot of time on cars, and I don't like racing games generally. But, man, something about just being able to, like, just build it however you want and have it be so uh, robust and, and thorough is really cool. Like, it's a really fun thing. Um, so... Uh, you play the game as you normally would play. You earn parts as you level up. Of course, uh, the store, remember, this is a free-to-play game. The store is not up yet, or at least it was not up last time I checked. So I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of stuff for sale, you know, cannons and guns and different car parts and who knows what else. So that's going to be a thing. I, I, It's too early to say how that's going to affect the game. I'm actually 
holding off on my review until after the store launches because I am a little bit concerned that it may turn into one of those um, pay-to-win scenarios where somebody with a fat wallet can buy like all the best parts and just kind of dominate the battlefield. I mean, I, I don't know that's the case, but I, I'm a little bit concerned about that. But at the moment, uh, as we are in closed beta, I think, it's it's really fun, and I'm having a really, really good time with it. Um, one, one little thing that I will throw out to people is if you plan to play this game or if you get the free-to-play version when it comes out, uh, pro tip, the the default control setting is fucking insane. It, it's crazy. It makes no sense. Uh, I, I literally don't know why they launched it with the defaults being the way that they are because it's accelerate and turn are all on the left stick, which doesn't sound like that big a deal. But when you start playing the game, it is impossible to drive in a straight line. Like you're, you want to speed up, but then you're like nudging your stick a little bit and then you're swerving left and then you're course correcting and then you're speeding up, but then you don't want to speed up and then you got to course correct again. It's a fucking mess. It is a mess. So the developers, number one, were insane for putting that as the default. That is a crazy, awful default. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are going to hate it and just immediately delete the game because it controls like shit. But if you go into the options, it seems like there is no option to change the controls, but there actually is. There's a, I forget what it's called, but like it's called like racing. And it doesn't explain what that means. And if you choose it, it doesn't look like anything changes because it does not show you what's actually being changed. But if you pick racing or race, whatever it's called, that maps gas and brake to a more standard, uh, you know, right shoulder, left shoulder sort of thing, which I think most uh, driving game fans will be familiar with. The, the, the car then at that point starts controlling more like a normal car in a video game. It's way easier to control. The sticks go back to like regular um, targeting and camera control and stuff like that. Um, so big, big tip. Just go into the options, pick race, control it like that. Don't get put off by the insane... I, I seriously got no idea why they did that. But uh, yeah, having a pretty good time with it. Uh, my kid really loves it. It's like the ultimate screw-around game for him. He loves the, the car construction too. Um, I think my only big complaint right now is everything is a little brown. You can paint things, but a lot of people are not painting things. And so everything is brown. Kind of a bummer. I wish more parts came stock with some color on them. But that's a pretty small complaint. Uh, we'll see what I think of it once it launches. But as of right now, you know, if you're into this sort of thing, if this sounds good, I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. Okay, I have three things to say. Are you ready? I'm ready. Um, the first one... Okay, the first thing I have to say is that I cannot stand it whenever games... Whenever you go on the options menu and there's, like, things that you can toggle or adjust in the options menu and the game does not fucking explain what they do. That is so irritating to me. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, this is a, a particularly egregious example, for sure. And my second thing to say is that this reminds me of whenever I played the first Need for Speed Underground, which is still probably my favorite racing game of all time. I say that like I'm a big racing game fan. I'm really not. Um how I would spend like way more time just like making my cars look really cool and putting like decals on them and like paint jobs and like doing like the window tents and like the lights under the car and like all that stuff. I would spend way more time doing that than actually racing. That might not be true, but I felt like I spent more time just like making my cars look really cool instead of racing. And the third thing I have to say is that, as you know, Brad, I like to do the, if this game and that game had a love child, this is what I think it would be whenever you're describing games I've never heard of. And to me, this game sounds like 
if Rocket League and Twisted Metal and Armored Core all had a baby together, that's what this sounds like. Oh, that's a good one. You uh, you are on point this week. That is that is pretty much exactly what it is. That is a very good summation. I think that's very accurate. So if you like the construction of Armored Core, you like the combat of uh, Twisted Metal, and you like the multiplayer aspect of uh, Rocket League, yeah, that is that's that's basically what it is in a nutshell. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I totally had not heard of this game until you uh, until you talked about it tonight. And Crossout is a super lame name, but um, I mean. We also have games like Overwatch, which is like super fucking lame. But I mean, hello, that game's like a raging success. Um, this game, when it goes free to play, I will probably download it. I can't say that I will play it a lot or, you know, I can't say that I'll get super duper into it. But what you have just described piques my interest. And uh, it does sound pretty interesting. Like I haven't played a car combat game. Oh, God, probably since like twisted one of the twisted metals maybe like twisted metal black on ps2 i mean i played mad max a little bit whenever it came out like a couple years ago um but i don't i wouldn't classify that as like a car combat game um but yeah this sounds uh this sounds interesting i i will probably give this a shot whenever it comes out for free to play yeah if you like to tinker man this i gotta say it like it looks it looks crazy like i'm just giving you guys all a heads up like when you go to the fix your car up the shop or whatever it's called it looks like, oh my God, this is way, this is like doing like, uh, you know, like trigonometry or something like it's crazy, <laughs> but it's, it's really not, it's really not like just get past it. Um, there's a button you can push, which will tell you what all the other buttons do, which is really super helpful. And then once you find that button, it's all easy to do. But yeah, the tinkering is just great. Like, I think it's just, it's so fun to like put that together. It's like Legos, but just for cars and it's really <laughs> cool. So I recommend it and it's going to be free. So, you know, you can check it out and not really lose anything except for time. So that's a pretty fair deal. Check it out when it comes out. And I don't know why they call it cross out. That name makes no sense to me, but there you go. <laughs> cross out, cross out, cross it out. Oh, anyway, Corey, you have been playing a game that I am intimately familiar with and I am quite eager to hear your take on it, sir. Uh, what do you got for us next? Um, you know, I knew you were going to be interested in hearing me talk about this because I remember... Did you talk about this on a previous show? Am I remembering that correctly? It's quite possible. It is quite possible. Um, I had been playing Headlander on PlayStation 4. Uh, it was on like a week ago, last week or something. They were doing, having a sci-fi sale on PS4 and with a bunch of really good games on sale, actually, like Soma, which was my game of the year like two years ago was on sale for like 10 bucks or something or like nine dollars um beside the point because the sale's over headlander was on sale for like five five or six bucks and i had been interested in it although cautiously interested because of what you had said before but i thought okay it's like five bucks i'll pick it up so i bought it um headlander is a 2d it's very much like a metroidvania game uh it's by double fine and adult swim games published it it actually came out uh july 26th of last year which is actually my birthday so it's a nice little birthday post birthday present for me um so it's been out for almost a year um and uh i had been interested in it since it came out because it was originally in one of the playstation 4 they do their like indie lineup things every once in a while where if you like pre-order them you get like 10 or 20 percent off or something when they do like four indie games in a row um it's kind of like how xbox used to do summer of arcade uh it was one of their indie games a while back that they were like pushing pretty hard and um 
Uh, it's basically Metroidvania. You are, it's like retro futuristic, like space station where you play as a head that was sort of like cryogenically frozen in this little like, um, like suit kind of thing, like a little helmet dealio. And you get brought out of, um, out of like, I don't know, like freezing or whatever. And your little head helmet has a little like rocket booster on the neck. And basically you can fly the head around and there's like androids everywhere and you can land your head onto enemy bodies. You can like shoot their heads off, land your head on them, and then you control the body just like you would, you know, a regular body in any other game. And you can also use your head to like lock into like security panels and stuff in the game. Uh, but it's basically a Metroidvania game. It's 2D side-scrolling, uh, third-person combat. It's, it's kind of like Shadow Complex, like the aiming and the shooting is very similar to Shadow Complex. Um, laser guns, retro future, the, the vibes, the, um, like set design vibes I get off this game. I'm really into cause it's like, it's like sixties in space where there's like shag carpeting and like disco balls, but you're also like in space, like on a space station and all the robots look really silly, kind of like Futurama where like, you know, it's like, it's like a sexy lady looking robot with like. Uh, I don't know, she just has, like, cool curves and, like, her legs might come down to, like, a fine point or something at the bottom. But uh, so far, I like it. I've only played it for, like, an hour and a half or something. Um, I enjoy that it has sort of, like, the good exploration mechanics of, like, a Metroid or a Castlevania because there are a lot of 2D games that have been coming out in the past few years that are just, like, linear, um, sort of, li like, inside or... Um, kind of like Deadlight, um, where it's not really so much about exploration as it is just about, like, getting through the levels and progressing. But this one is full-on, like, has upgrades where, um, you know, you land on red bodies, you can get through red security doors, and then you land through on orange uh, enemy bodies, and you can get through the orange security doors, and then you buy an upgrade, and you can go back to this, like, room you couldn't get through earlier to get, like, upgrades and stuff. Um I like it. I think it's funny. I think it's neat. Um, the one thing that I remember you specifically saying, Brad, whenever you played it, is that the combat in it is like bananas because one of the major like facets of the game, uh, the game's combat, is that you should, most enemies have laser guns or like a laser gun hand or whatever, and the lasers ricochet off the walls. And the higher the level you get of like your sentry body that you take over the more the lasers like bounce around the room. Cause like the first one might just like bounce off the ceiling and that's it. But the next one will like bounce off the ceiling and then off the floor and then can hit an enemy. And eventually there's like lasers going all over the place. And um, I was a little bit worried cause I remembered you saying that at a certain point in the game, like the, the combat gets like totally bananas because it's basically just like rooms full of lasers bouncing everywhere. And I'm pretty worried about that because I'm only up to like the yellow enemies and it goes in a rainbow scale. So the yellow would be like level three after red and orange. And like the rooms that I'm in that I'm fighting in are already like kind of insane. Like you can take cover and then it's just like people shooting lasers bouncing off the walls everywhere. But uh, I'm getting better at using the head because one of my favorite uh, mechanics in the game is that whenever you blast off the, uh, off the body and you fly, you're like rocketing your little head around you can like vacuum suck like an enemy's head right off their body and just like land right on it. And I am using that a lot. I find that a very funny and a very um, good way to like take over enemy uh, like sentry bodies and stuff. And I discovered uh, in the upgrade menu that I think there's an upgrade where you basically just like 
launch your head right at the body and you like headbutt the body off or you headbutt like the head off the body and like land in one swift motion. And that sounds freaking hilarious to me. And I'm planning on buying that upgrade at some point, but I haven't yet. Um, but I don't, I don't really have a ton to say about this game. Like it's pretty much what you think it is. 2D side-scrolling, uh, Metroidvania, but like retro future space. Um, I think it's fun. Um, I do think that it might get a little too crazy later, like you had said before. Um, but I mean, I like it. The writing's pretty funny. Um, the visual style is very interesting. Uh, and I don't know. What, what do you have to say, Brad? Yeah, man. I think there's a lot to like about Headlander. I... I started off really liking it because I do like the style. It really reminded me of like Logan's run, which is a pretty famous sci-fi movie from back in the day. Uh, you know, like you said, it's kind of like, it's almost like a seventies porn movie in space in some parts <laughs> where they got like the, the weird Waka Waka music and, you know, like you said, the shag carpeting and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's got style for sure. I really like the style. I really like the uh, idea and the mechanics of being just a head that flies around and stealing bodies is pretty fun. Uh, but yeah, I mean, everything that you said was correct. It's been a while since I played it, but yeah, the combat gets really nuts at the end. Like it's just lasers upon lasers bouncing all over the place. And there's a few rooms where I was like, oh my God, like this is just a fucking mess. It's really bad. And I got to say also, you're not, you're not quite to that phase yet, but I feel like the game goes really overboard when it comes to like color coded locked doors. So you're constantly like looking for the right color of body to open the next door that you're going through. They really, they lean on that pretty hard. And as the game goes on, like it was fine in the beginning, but like it just kind of just was not novel after a while. It got really kind of boring. And I kept waiting for like more interesting mechanics to pop up or to for them to kind of back off of it a little bit. And they never really did. So I did finish it. Um, it, do, it does get pretty difficult at times. And that's, and combat is not this game's forte by any means. Like I think they should have really dialed back the combat because that is not its strength. Um, I think the style, the humor of his writing, the concept, all that is really solid, but the, the combat and the locked doors really bring it down. So I, I liked it enough to finish it, and I, you know, I would recommend it. I think five bucks is a great price for that, especially if you're a fan of Metroidvanias. But yeah, it's it is not the best I've ever played. It's got a couple, you know, issues, like you said, that bring it down. But overall, I mean, I, I kinda liked it. And my, you know, my review is up on Game Critics if anybody wants to read in depth what I had to say about it a year ago. So uh, you can read it there. But yeah. Uh, five bucks. I think you're going to be well off. And if you like, if you like it so far, you'll probably like it all the way through, but, uh, I'll, let's check in on it next week and see if, uh, those bouncing lasers get the better of you. <laughs> yeah. I reckon I'll probably finish it between here and there. Cause that's like one of the main games that I have in my rotation right now. So I will definitely report back, uh, next week and we'll talk about it. Right on, right on. So what, uh, what I know you made me watch a trailer for the game that you're about to talk about. And I, I want to hear what you have to say about it, because the first thing I thought when I watched the trailer is this is fucking Zelda. So what do you what do you think? <laughs> All right. So the next game uh, I'm going to talk about another pre-release game. I need to very be I need to be very extremely clear about this. I told the PR rep that I, I had to get special permission to talk about it. Ooh. And I told them that I would be very respectful of the restrictions they put on me. <clears throat> Excuse me. So this is absolutely uh, preview sense, general thoughts. This is 100% not a review. None of, the, none of what I'm about to say is final. Uh, this is just from the very first section of the game, 
preview, not going to spoil anything, not going to uh, get into, into details. But this game is called Rime, R-I-M-E, and it's put out by Tequila Works, who are the people who did... What's that zombie game we played a couple weeks ago that we talked about? The 2D side-scrolling zombie game? Deadlight. Deadlight. They made Deadlight, which I really liked. Uh, they did a couple other games, I think. I think this is a pretty good studio. I think this is one to watch out for. Um, and this is published by Graybox Games. It's coming out uh, next week on the 26th, May 26th. So it's just right around the corner. Um, I got to say, I was not super familiar with this game. I know that there was some kind of a deal with Sony a couple of years ago. I know that it got shown at one of the E3 like press reels. And for some reason it was really featured and then something happened. Um, I don't know the details. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to misspeak myself here, but apparently something happened and the deal fell through. And then all of a sudden um, it was not getting the press that it was. And it kind of disappeared for a while. I know that some people thought it was vaporware for a while, but it is a, it is a true real thing. And I'm, I'm playing it right now. It is, how to even sum this up, uh, to be really, really sloppy about it, I want to say it's kind of like Eco plus um, The Witness, which is like, the, like the, the quickest way, the most shorthand way of doing it, which is really lazy, I apologize. Um, basically, it's a third person, uh, ac- not even really action, some action, I guess, but you're, you're, you start the game off as a boy who washes up on a beach, and there's no dialogue no text nothing like you just you just wake up on the beach that's it you just start there and you're in this really abstract island where half of it seems like rocks and trees and the other half seems like kind of like this really cool like porcelain sculpture kind of thing all these different structures that are really kind of artistic and uh you know ruinsy looking kind of things and you just uh walk around there's no text anywhere in the game when you go to the options uh the options menu to look at the controls like it's all like pictograms, like it shows your character running or jumping or ducking when it, it, it shows the controller. So there's not even any text that really like walk you through it. You got to just get into it, but it's fine. I mean, you pick it up really quickly. And before you know it, I'm not quite sure exactly how much I can say, uh, but you, you explore the island and you come across these various structures, which sometimes are puzzles and sometimes they're just like really interesting things to look at. And by doing certain, oh God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to be so vague. I apologize, you guys. <laughs> but by by doing certain things, you solve these puzzles and move forward in the island. And there's a a, a hint system which is kind of neat. Uh, I cannot say anything about that. And some of the puzzles, I gotta say, the puzzles are really well done. They're the kind of puzzles where <clears throat> you you get to them, and at first you're not even sure if they're even a puzzle, and then you figure out that it is a puzzle. And then you think, oh, my God, what the hell is going on? I don't understand. This is really hard. This sucks. I'm stuck. And then you just you chew on it for a little while. And you're like, oh, that's what I do. And then you're like, yeah, okay, cool. And you do it like you feel stupid at first or bad even. And then you figure it out and you're like, oh, that was super obvious. I'm dumb. That was anybody would have figured that out except me. I should have known that. In fact, this is kind of um, circling back to what we talked about earlier, uh, Corey, with your narcosis bit. I got to a puzzle. And I was, oh my God, I was stuck. And, you know, this is a pre-release game, so there's no FAQs. There's no one to ask about it. I can't, I can't, you know, just go online and find out. Oh, that is one of the absolute biggest pitfalls of reviewing games is reviewing something, getting stuck, and having fucking no one to ask about it. Oh, it's tough. It's tough. I got to say, the best PR people 
The best PR people in the world are PR people who actually play games and who actually play the games that they're repping. <laughs> um, because that is the best. Because they know. Like, they play through and they know. And usually they can help you out or they know how to solve a problem that a reviewer will have. Those people are the best. And so the guy repping this, I, I guess it's not a secret. His name is uh, Sean Norton. Good friend of mine um, from many years ago. Awesome guy. I've known him for years. And he is uh, one of the best PR dudes out there. Um, so when he go he, when he was behind this game, I knew I should pay attention to it because he he is always involved in really good stuff. Um, so Sean Norton's a great guy. I sent him a direct message at like four o'clock in the morning because I was you know <laughs> I, as as frequent listeners know I get up really early, and I I sent him a picture of this and I'm like Sean I'm fucking stuck dude like what the hell what's going on, and uh, you know he got back to me a little while and he he solved it for me which was great so I I breathed this giant sigh of relief and it was one of those things where it's like he told me what it was and then I just like. I did like that major, like, you know, uh, Picard facepalm where I'm like, oh, my God, I feel like the biggest fucking idiot in the world. I should have totally, you know, and I apologize for bugging him. And uh, it was it was he's a great guy, though. Great guy. Love Sean Norton. Um, he's also on the Lonely Tardis podcast for any any Doctor Who fans out there. Great podcast. I love that podcast. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I I'm making my way through the game. I'm maybe a couple hours in and I got to say it is just like in a, okay, again, in a previous sense, I think it's amazing. I love it. I think it's really, really good. Um, the music is not something that I generally pay attention to in games. Um, but the music is really, uh, it's fantastic. Like it's a really beautiful orchestral score that reacts to what's going on as you play, which I think is always amazing when it's done. Well, the graphics I think are super like beautiful and artistic uh, the character controls, uh, you know, just fine. A little heavy, maybe. I would like him to move a little bit quicker, but it's no problem at all. It's not an issue. And just the stuff that you do is just, it's awesome. Like, I just, I can't say anything about it, but I'm i am going through it, and I'm really glad that it's not vaporware. I'm really glad that um, whatever happened, happened, and it finally uh, got into my hands. But I'm really impressed, and this is one of those games where I, I genuinely didn't really know anything about it before I started playing it. And then once I started playing it, I'm like, wow. Everybody needs to know about this. This is awesome. So um, in a preview sense, it's really, really good. I'm super enjoying it. I cannot wait to get back to it and play some more. And I'm just, I'm so impressed with what Tequila Works has turned out. I, I, uh, I mean, at this point, I just, I'm, I, you know, I wish I could say more, but I really can't, uh, except to say that, please, everybody, if uh, the idea of playing something like Eco, but with a lot more puzzles and a great soundtrack and beautiful visuals sounds like something you might be interested in, you know, definitely got an art house slant to it. Um, check it out. It comes out next week. And I just, I mean, at this point, in a preview sense, I've got nothing but good things to say about it. I'm just kind of in love with it right now. So um, I will check in once I'm done with it and once the embargo is over to see if it stays good all the way through. But if the back half is as good as the front half, wow, really, really good. So my fingers are crossed it's going to stay good. Any questions that I can't answer? Uh, it looks okay. So when I watched the trailer, I had not heard of this game at all, and it looks to me like, like Eco through the lens of Zelda Wind Waker because it has like the same art style as Wind Waker. Uh, would you say that that's accurate or like totally off base? No, I think that's fair. I mean, it definitely has kind of a very clean. Um, the colors are, I mean, it's not exactly cell shaded, but it's kind of got that very artistic, um, you know, the, the developers, the art team are not going for realism in any way. Like they have a very distinct visual style they're going for, which I think is, you know, it's analogous to Wind Waker or one of those, um, cell shaded games, although it's not quite as cartoony as that. Um, and it's interesting that you say that it looks like Zelda because in that trailer, it actually does look quite a bit like Zelda Breath of the Wild in some ways. 
or also in Wind Waker in some ways. Um, and I, I, at first I was like, oh gosh, you know, I, I just finished Zelda, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Uh, and I, I don't know that I want to play anything like that again. Like I, I don't want more Zelda right now, but I, I started up and it's not at all like Zelda. It doesn't feel like Zelda when you play it. It is, it is very puzzly. It's very exploratory. It's very chill and very relaxed. And, uh, it, it, it looks like it at first blush, but it does not feel like Zelda at all. So if you're one of those people out there who's thinking, oh dude, I'm like right in the middle of Breath of the Wild, or I just finished like 150 hours of Breath of the Wild. Don't be afraid. This does not feel like Zelda at all. Looks like it, but does not feel like it. Are you allowed to say, does it have like any kind of combat system in it? Um, I don't think I am allowed to say right now. And okay. honestly, I don't even know. I think it's possible. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I got to say I don't know right now. Sorry. Okay. I will let it slide, but just this once, Brad. Yeah, sorry. I hate to be so. I hate to be so vague, but um, you know, I, I like I said, I had to ask special permission to even talk about it at all, and uh, you know, I, I don't want to overstep any bounds because I'm really happy I got to talk about this because it would have sucked if I would have had to like sit on this for another week. That would have been terrible. I'm really glad I get to talk about it and, and uh, spread some sugar about it before uh, release. <laughs> so, anyway, I wish I could say more, but I can't. But I will say, please check it out, or at least go check out the release trailer, the 2017 release trailer. It looks fantastic. This game, so far, in a previous sense, love it. Love it, love it, love it. So, I'll talk more about it later, and that's probably all I can say about it for right now. So, anyway, Corey, you've got something else on tap, sir, and you've, again, something that I am also very familiar with. Also, again, very curious to get your take on it. In fact, that's kind of why we fucking do this podcast, so I guess I don't even need to say that. Corey, tell me all about Alan Wake's American Nightmare. Okay, so before we talk about Alan Wake, um, will, will you give me your, like, 30-second to one-minute synopsis of how you feel about Alan Wake? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so I played... The original Alan Wake, and I did play American Nightmare. My synopsis of that would be uh, a really cool mechanic that goes on for too long in a cool setting that never really finishes telling the story with the main <laughs> character who's a fucking asshole. Uh, and it's really overrated, but I still kind of liked it. Okay, good. There you go. Good. That, that is good. Because Alan Wake is one of those games where, and this has been happening, this is... Uh, slight this is not related at all but i'm gonna pull it in this is like one of those games where you know like the new alien movie came out alien covenant and everybody who's on twitter giving an opinion about alien covenant they have to preface their opinion by saying whether or not they liked prometheus which was the movie that came before alien covenant and i feel like that's how alan wake is like it's one of those games where if i like meet somebody for the first time and like want to know like like gauge how I should feel about their taste in video games. Alan Wake is one of those games where I can be like, okay, how do you feel about Alan Wake? Because there's a lot of people that think this game is like God's gift to earth. And I am not one of them, but let me, I feel similarly to how you do. So let me provide a little bit of background on my Alan Wake experience. Cause I'm going to be talking about uh, Alan Wake's American nightmare, which is DLC, but I want to talk about Alan Wake in general for a second, because Alan Wake uh, came out in, 2010 uh may 2010 it's actually almost right now i like facebook gives these like on this day updates and literally today in 2010 i had like facebook statuses about playing alan wake so it's weird that i'm playing american nightmare right now but that's beside the point um 
Alan Wake was the third game by Remedy who did Max Payne. They did Max Payne and then Max Payne 2. And I love the Max Payne games. I think they're very silly, but I adore them. And so I, when Alan Wake came out, I was like super duper pumped for this game. Like, like this is one of the, I feel like one of the first games I played in my like adult life where I was so, so hyped for it. Like when I picked, I picked it up on release day and I like went to my apartment and I literally put like blankets up like tacked them up over the windows to get the room as dark as i possibly could i turned off achievement notifications for the first time on my xbox 360 because i did not want those pop-ups ruining my experience of the game i was like in for the hype train on this game on alan wake wow and, yeah wow. No yeah shit. holy cow yeah and i and like i i, I don't know it's almost like inexplicable at this point but I mean, I loved uh, Remedy up until that point. I loved the Max Payne games. And I was like, yeah, new IP. It's supposed to be, like, scary. And, like, uh, you know, like, you're in a forest with flashlight and blah, blah, blah. But it's got, like, combat. And I was, like, super into it. So I played it. And I came out on the other end of Alan Wake thinking that it was not that great. Um, I thought basically kind of what you said. I think that... It is because the, the whole game is about like a writer who has like writer's block and his wife, they go on vacation together and she like surprises him with this like brand new typewriter whenever they're on vacation in this cabin together. And he like gets mad at her for like buying the typewriter because he's like, oh, I was supposed to be on vacation. Oh, I don't want to be writing. Are you trying to say that I'm supposed to be writing? Blah, blah, blah. And he's just like a giant jerk off. And... And his wife gets kidnapped by some, like, dark entity. And basically, you spend the entire game, which goes on way too long. Um, like, the game just keeps giving you excuse after excuse to be, like, running around in some dark forest fighting these people. They, they're, they're humanoid forms, but they have, like, a shadow over them. And the point of the game is that it's, like, a light versus darkness thing where you have a flashlight in one hand and a gun in the other. You, like, intensify the flashlight beam to like take the shadow off the enemies and then you shoot them to death but if you shoot them before the shadow disintegrates they're basically impervious um and i mean the idea of the game is good the combat is actually pretty good but it's way too long it's so pretentious it is horribly written and the characters are dumb um it's just like i don't know it's uh, it's just like I, I was so annoyed with Alan Wake whenever I came out on the other end of it. I just so annoyed. And uh, like we talked about last week on the show, Alan Wake got delisted from Steam because um, they put a bunch of licensed music in it and they're like losing the rights to it or whatever. They're not going to pay for the extra rights anymore or something like that. So it got delisted from Steam. So uh, Alan Wake's American Nightmare, which is uh, the DLC that came out two years after the game came out. It came out in February of 2012. I didn't realize that it was that big of a gap because I never played it um, originally. I thought, uh, I thought, okay, Alan Wake, I thought it was kind of garbage on the other end. So why would I play the DLC? Like, ugh. But now that a bunch of years have passed, um, Xbox One had an Xbox 360 like game sale last week, sort of like a backwards compatible sale. And Alan Wake's American Nightmare was only $2.49. So I thought, okay, I will pick this up. You know, I'll give it a fair shake. I'll see what I think. You know, maybe, you know, uh, like sophomore in college me was dumb. And maybe this game is actually good because everybody thinks that Alan Wake is like amazing. You know, I'll, I'll give it another shot. So I downloaded American Nightmare and actually finished it today. It's 
the kind of game you could finish in like two sittings, which is what I did, or even one sitting probably. Um, and, and you don't need the core Alan Wake to play that, dude. It's like a standalone, isn't it? Yeah, it's totally standalone. So, and that's what's really cool about it is that you don't need the disc or Alan Wake at all. You just buy it on its own, and you can play it on its own, which is totally how everybody should do DLC. But um, not everybody does it that way. Uh, but, uh, so yeah, so you, I just downloaded the game on its own and, uh, and was able to play it, which is super cool. And basically, uh, well, do you, do you have anything to say before I talk about the game proper, Brad? No, I just want to go on and on about how Alan Wake was just like this incredible asshole. Like, I just thought he was like really, really <laughs> unlikable. I hated him as a character. I thought he was a complete prick and he was mean to everybody that was nice to him in that game. And I liked all of the supporting characters more than I liked him. And I just... I did not like him at all. He was the biggest <laughs> fucking jerk. And it it wasn't even one of those it wasn't even one of those things where like he was mad for like a good reason or like he didn't even have like a redemptive thing at the end. He just was like an asshole all the way through and he was just a dick. So I just want to say that for like the next 20 minutes, but go ahead. Yeah, and I agree with that. Like he like, you know, rule A of any kind of like story is that you want your character to be likable. And I mean, the character doesn't have to be a good guy to be likable but it still has to be in some sense likable and alan wake is like not likable in any way shape or form he's just like a giant fucking dick um but alan wake's american nightmare you playing as alan wake again and he is in arizona this time because the first game is in washington state and it's very like it's all like forests and woods and cabins and it's very like I don't know, that's just sort of like the aesthetic the, games go, the game goes for, which it does really well, but it does it so well that they didn't know when to stop doing it. So the game just, it's just like, here, oh, you're in another forest. Oh, how do we solve this problem? Oh, I guess I have to go through this other forest to get there. And that's basically all of Alan Wake in a nutshell. But American Nightmare, you're in Arizona. So it's like, you know, sandy and deserty. And you're in like, it's got like three basic set pieces. Part of it is in um, a stretch of town that has like a motel and a diner and like a little oil field and then the second part is in like an observatory so it's like a, it's got like the parking lot around it and like the big observatory tower and then the third set piece is um is like a, a drive-in movie theater and there's like the management office and like the movie theater grounds and the parking lot and there's like a power station like down the street from it and when I got started in it, I was, um, like, part of the the thing of Alan Wake, because he's a writer, is that there are manuscript pages all around the environment. And this is a thing in the first one, and it's also a thing in the DLC, where you pick up the manuscript pages as you go, and they sort of, like, for they, they very blatantly foreshadow what's going to happen uh, later on in the story. And uh, one thing that really irritated me is that in American Nightmare... Uh, you there's like weapon boxes around and you have to get a certain amount of manuscript pages before you can like unlock the next weapon, which is like an all right mechanic. Like I'm, I'm a okay with that. So in the first section, there's like, you can get like a Magnum, but you need like 10 manuscript pages. And I had eight and I got to a point where I got like a motel key and I knew that there was a manuscript page in one of the, in one of the rooms. And there's like three rooms you can look through so I was like, okay, I'll go to that room last because that's probably like the last room you need to go in because it does the manuscript page. So I went into a different hotel room and there's like a guy on the floor and there's like, he has like keys to the observatory because he works there. And so I walk in the hotel room and I'm trying to get the manuscript pages to get the, the magnum, mind you. And I have like eight or nine and, and I walk in the room and without asking me, 
the game just like starts a cutscene and transports me to the observatory. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, can, can I go back to the motel, please? Like, I was trying to get those manuscript pages to get the Magnum, like, and it was so annoying. I was like, why wouldn't the game just let me stay there? Like, why didn't it ask me or why can't I go back? But no, you can't go back. But I, I never thought I would say this, but Alan Wake's American Nightmare is actually pretty smart about this because the big, like, sort of like thing about the DLC is that it does this time loop mechanic where you visit all three set pieces and then like time folds back on itself and then you visit them all again and then you visit them all again, which sounds lame, but it's actually really smart because it lets you get more manuscript pages. And then like by this time I came around to the motel area the second time, I was able to get the Magnum and I was like, okay. So it's like one of those rare instances where a mechanic like really irritated me. But then like 30 minutes later, I was like, okay, okay. Like now that I've played a little more, this is actually kind of smart and I appreciate it. Um, and, and, and I liked what it was doing, but I do, I still have some problems with, uh, with Alamix American Nightmare. I, I do like it. Um, I think the combat is really good. Like, I think I kind of forgot how good the combat is from the first one. Cause it, it's kind of like Resident Evil four, where it's like dudes like chasing you. And sometimes they like throw shit at you and you, the, the dash button is also a dodge button. And like, it does this really silly, like slow-mo dodge thing. If you dodge at just the right time, um, which I do think the dodge, like the window for dodging is sometimes really spotty because if you miss the dodge window the enemies will like fuck your ass up like they sometimes they'll hit you with like a two or three hit combo and almost kill you so you have to be like on top of your shit which i sometimes am and sometimes i'm not at all um let me look at my notes uh one thing about the game that i think is irritating is that you are the dlc is populated by like what it's like women like all the side characters are women mostly and they're all like like just like ugh like, presented to be kind of, like, bimbos in a very, like, old-school video gamey way, which is so irritating for me. Like, the the first, like, the first woman you encounter as a mechanic in the motel, she's, like, working on a car, which is cool because it's, like, subverts your expectation about what a woman is supposed to be doing. You know, she's, like, working on a car. But, of course, you walk up to her, and, like, her coveralls are unzipped, and they're, she has, like, the top of her coveralls down, and is they're, like, tied around her waist. And, of course, she's wearing, like, a white cami which like no mechanic in their right mind would be wearing and of course like some of her midriff is exposed and i'm just like are you fucking kidding me alan wake like like come on like let's do a little bit better so you get to the observatory and there's like a cool like british scientist at the top of the observatory and she's kind of like teaching you how to do things you have to go like fix things for her um and you get up there and talk to her and she's wearing her, like her white like lab coat because I guess you wear a lab coat in observatory. And she has like a fucking like black cocktail dress and like high heels on under the lab coat. And I was like, <laughs> like what? Like come on, Alan Wake. Like come on. Well, Corey, what else would a woman scientist wear? I mean, that's just standard attire. Come on, dude. <laughs> but and the thing that kills me about this segment is that the game fucking addresses it. Like it, like the, you can keep talking to the side characters if you want, or you can just walk away. And of course I kept talking to them cause I wanted to see what all they said. And there's like a thing where Alan Wake is like, Oh, I have to ask, uh, are you, is that always what scientists wear when they're at work? And I was like, okay, you don't like, it was stupid enough that she's wearing the black cocktail dress, but it's even dumber that the game is like, 
addressing it to try to give it a reason. And she's like, oh, I was at this party earlier and uh, and somebody called me into work. And and it has like zero plot connection. So it's like they were smart enough to realize that they put her in a dumb outfit, but then they were dumb enough to like address it. And then you get to the third area and it's like a woman who works at the, like at the projection booth or like at the drive-in. And she's been like overtaken by darkness. And she's like this giant like, 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 she's trying to be all, like, sexy with Alan Wake because, like, the darkness has taken her over. And she just says all these, like, really ridiculous things. She's, like, talking about how she wants to, like, kiss him and how, like, she wants him to be rough with her. And at one point, she literally, like, says something about, like, how she wants him to be, like, inside her. And I was like, ew, this is so gross. And it's so just, like, obviously written by men like through like the biggest male gaze you could ever imagine this whole thing being through and like the writing in this whole game is super cheesy and that's something that was very apparent in the first Alan Wake and that and the game proper is that the writing is so cheesy it's like Sam Lake who's like the creative director of Remedy like you can tell that he's been trying he, he kind of does that Hideo Kojima thing where you can tell he like just secretly wants to make movies but he kind of got stuck making video games his entire life and he like thinks that he can write good dialogue but he actually can't because the dialogue is memorable like in the Max Payne games but that doesn't make it good and and Alan Wake is that way like it seems like he like binged on Stephen King novels and then like suddenly thinks that he can write a Stephen King book but in video game form and it's just like the writing is really embarrassing. And I mean, if the writing is supposed to be embarrassing, then like, that's one thing, but that doesn't necessarily make it better. It's like, it's like anti-writing, like the anti-shooter of video games. Like, oh, we made our video game boring because it's supposed to be boring. Well, that doesn't make it any better. If the writing is bad because it's supposed to be bad, then it's still bad at the end of the day. And like, that's sort of how I feel about the writing in this game. It's like super eye-rolly. It's super... Um, just like pretentious and dumb and I think it's supposed to be written that way but that doesn't like inspire a lot of confidence in like how I think Remedy should be going forward and like Remedy made uh, Quantum Break which came out like a year ago that was like the thing after Alan Wake and like the writing in that game was really stupid and the storyline is really stupid and it, it, it literally had like 30 minute TV show segments between each act which you know further bolsters the fact that Sam like just needs to stop making games and just try to make movies or like a TV show or something because it's obviously what he wants to be doing instead of instead of making games, even though he can't write for shit. Um, but I, I've been ranting about Alan Wake's American Nightmare. I actually think Alan Wake's American Nightmare is is good. I think it's better than Alan Wake proper. It's sort of like how I feel about The Last of Us versus The Last of Us Left Behind, the DLC, because it takes, like, everything that made the original game good and puts it into, like, a little, like, five to six-hour package and stops it from going on too long. It stops it from being too bloated. It stops it from having more annoying writing and more annoying characters and more, like, gross, like, male gaziness on it. So, I mean, thumbs up to American Nightmare, but if... But I still don't think the original Alan Wake is that great. I think I only like American Nightmare because it's shorter. It's like shorter and sweeter. And the time loop mechanic is actually pretty well done, I think. Um, but that's, uh, I don't know, Brad. I just ranted for like a million years about Alan Wake. What, what do you think? Yeah, you got excited there, man. You had some feelings on that. I could tell <laughs> when you were going there. Um, yeah, I mean, I basically, uh, 
I echo uh, pretty much everything you said. I mean, I'm sure listeners of the show are like, Jesus, won't these guys ever disagree? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we'll disagree at some point, but on this stuff, I think we're on the same page. I'm not the biggest Remedy fan. I actually think they're really overrated as a studio. Um, I don't like them very much. And I mean, as far as I know, like they've never really been very good about female characters. Am I wrong about that? Uh, the only female character in their games that I think was well-written was Mona Sachs and Max Payne. Um, I mean, she's like a stereotypical like femme fatale, but I would have much preferred a Mona Sachs standalone game, especially after being able to play as her partially in Max Payne 2 instead of the garbage fire that was Max Payne 3 that came out, which Remedy had nothing to do with Max Payne 3. That was all Rockstar, but... um. I, I like Mona Sachs, but she's probably the only character that Remedy has, like, ever written that I like, I think. Yeah, I'm not super expert on Remedy's work because I just don't like their work very much. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I got to say I did not uh, care for the writing in Alan Payne. Or Max Alan, Alan Payne. Jesus, a mix of Alan Payne. <laughs> and Max Wake, you mean. Max Wake, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, sorry, guys. I'm, you know, I'm getting my, my, my series mixed up here. Uh, I was not a big fan of the writing in general in Alan Wake, although I, I kind of do like American Nightmare on its own. And in fact, I do kind of like it for the same reasons you said. Like, it's shorter. It has a more identifiable kind of idea that's, like, delivered on more than it is in the main game, like the time loop thing, which actually I thought was going to be really super irritating and ended up not being super irritating which I, in itself was kind of amazing um, because I'm not somebody who likes to repeat stuff over and over in games. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was fine. And I don't think it really, if I remember correctly, it didn't really answer any of the questions that were brought up in the main uh, Alan Wake. And that game kind of like left itself hanging on a big question mark. So um, I think it's fine. I think the, the combat is really good. I think there's maybe a little bit too much combat in American Nightmare, but it's still pretty good. And uh, if you, I mean... If you want more of that, like the flashlight and gun mechanic, which is, is kind of neat, uh, you know, it delivers. So I think it's worthwhile, especially would you get it for like, would you say two bucks or something? Yeah, it's two fifty on sale. It's probably not on sale anymore. But um, I mean, I, I don't know what the off sale price is, but God, it can't be more than like 10 or 15 dollars at this point, which I think is still pretty worth it. Yeah, I mean, I think it would, I think I would probably even recommend it over um, Alan Wake, because I don't <laughs> think that you really need to know very much about the first Alan Wake to enjoy what's good about this. And you're probably just better off skipping all that because you're right when you say that Alan Wake went on way too fucking long. Oh, my God. It was like a joke. Um, so, yeah, I think this is a, a very good distillation of the best parts. And I, I would recommend it if uh, people want some of that Remedy style action, but they don't want any Max Payne. Yeah, uh, totally. And one thing that I totally forgot to say earlier is that I think it's hilarious that this game is that the whole controversy behind Alan Wake and American Nightmare recently is that it's getting delisted because of the music rights, because um like, like uh, American Nightmare does have a bunch of music cues, like, you know, something will happen and it'll be like a real song that plays, um, a song I don't recognize. But it's funny because it's one of those, like, situations where you can tell that, and I don't know if it's Sam, if it's Sam Lake, I don't know if it's his doing or if it's, like, somebody who had, like, you know, production, uh, you know, credits on, on the game. But it's one of those things where you can tell that, whoever's idea it was to put these certain songs in these certain situations, like, you know, you can just see them sitting back at their desk and like putting their feet up and being like, yeah, I have really good taste in music. So what am I going to do? I'm going to put my favorite songs in this game and make people listen to them. And it's just really embarrassing for me. And I feel like that's how 
the first Alan Wake was too, where it's like, it's like movies where like, like the main characters listen to a song and you can tell that the only reason the song is in there is because like the director likes the song and is trying to like raise awareness around the song or the band or something. And I feel like that's how American Nightmare does it. And every time like a real quote unquote song came on, I would be like, wow, this is really cheesy. I cannot believe that's why this game is getting delisted because of this like really dumb music that's playing in here. Because the score itself for the game is actually pretty superb. Like anytime the action ramps up, I was really um, impressed with like the actual score of the game. And then like, you know, they, it would trigger an action. This like rock and roll song would come on. And I was just like, Ugh, like I couldn't roll my eyes hard enough. So I think it's funny that that's like what the game's demise is made of essentially on steam is the musical cues whenever they're like just as embarrassing as the writing in the game for me. I got to say, I'm actually not a fan of like actual real life, popular music, making it into games or something. I know that really like is some people really like that a lot and that's fine. I mean, I'm not hating anybody who, who goes for that, but I really, it really takes me out of the game and I really don't like it when like a real world song shows up in the middle of something where I'm trying to immerse myself or I'm in the middle of some action. And then just, you know, this is a random song that I've heard before I starts playing. Not a fan of that at all. I don't like it. Um, and I, you know, most of the licensed songs in Alan Wake, I think just played during the epilogues, if I'm not mistaken, like it was like after the action was over and they would play the credits and it would be like the Rolling Stones or it'd be like, you know, whatever, whatever else was in there. Uh, yeah, kind of a dumb expenditure. I'm sure it costs a bajillion dollars to do that. <laughs> and I really don't think it was worth it. I mean, you could have done a really cool uh, original score. There's tons of musicians out there who could have done that and, and done a fine job. Um, I don't really need, like, you know, painted black to come on. I mean, yeah, really heavy-handed, really obvious, guys. Like, that's nothing really <laughs> unique about that pick, right? So, uh, yeah, not a fan of that, uh, but, you know, whatever. So uh, I don't like it in real life and, and other stuff, too. Like, you know, uh, my son was watching a movie a while ago. I think we talked about it. Sing? I talked about it on the show, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. Swear. Like in that movie, it actually was not a bad movie at all. But like every single song in that movie was a popular song that was just from real life. Like there was like a Katy Perry song or there was like, a you know, whatever, all these different artist songs. And it really bugged the shit out of me because I kept waiting for like some cool original new song to show up to really kind of encapsulate the spirit of the movie. But it was just all this other stuff I had heard before. Ugh, really didn't like it. Really not a fan of that. So any anything that just tries to capitalize on the strength of some other pop property yeah not a fan yeah it just like i don't know it just kind of like embarrasses me for the attitude of the creator like basically like shoving their musical tastes down your throat like i don't have a problem with like discovering new artists through games like like hotline miami is like a prime example where like it brought like a, a bunch of like really bitchin' music to the game that I had never heard of before that wasn't like popular. And now some of those artists, I like have the songs on rotation on my phone. But yeah, I, uh, it just like makes me roll my eyes in like the Alan Wake situation where it's like, ooh, like let's put on like Rolling Stones or David Bowie. Like it doesn't matter how good the artist is. I'm still just like annoyed that it's there in the first place, I think. Yeah, well, I, I think it's kind of different with, like, unknown artists because, number one, you probably don't know who they are. So it's fine to, like, hear new music that you don't have an association with. But, like, when they pick these really big songs, like, it's, it's like lazy shorthand. I mean, it's kind of like the reviewer's equivalent of me saying, well, if you like this, you're going to like this. It's kind of the same thing of, like, hey, you like the Rolling Stones. You know the song. You're going to like this. Or, like, they're trying to just 
bring in an element to the game that they maybe haven't earned or that they haven't really justified. And they, they just want you to know because you're familiar with the song that you're going to instantly associate like all these other feelings with the game. It, lazy shorthand to me. I just, I just not a fan. Do not like it. Yes. Okay. Um, I don't think I have anything else to say about American Nightmare. I mean, after all the bitching I did, I do recommend it, but only because it's like a shorter, better version of super overrated Alan Wake proper. Yeah, I got nothing else to say except for Alan Wake's a dick. He's always going to be a dick and I hate <laughs> Alan Wake. That's it. I'm done. He's a dick. All right. Well, I believe we have one game left on the agenda to discuss tonight. Um, Brad, you just talked about a Zelda clone that's not really a Zelda clone. So how about talking about the real Zelda now? Yeah, just really quick, uh, really quick wrap up. Um, I don't have a lot to say, but I felt like it was worth mentioning just because I spent so much time. Um, it, <laughs> Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is an incredibly huge game, uh, even bigger than I thought it was going to be. And I just it took so much time to get through it. And I even skipped like a ton of stuff. I mean, I skipped a bunch of side quests. I, um, you know, I just like any any little time savings I could do. I was doing because whenever I take on a big game and I try to I try to not do that because number one, like I don't have a lot of free time to begin with. And so when I take on a huge game, it like it pretty much makes it makes it impossible to play anything else during that time. So, you know, being the editor of Game Critics, I usually have to play a lot of games to, you know, help the coverage or sometimes I need to check something out real quick. And I just I don't like to switch around in my games like because I kind of forget what I'm doing. You know, like if I lose momentum in one, it makes it hard for me to come back. So I don't like to stop once I start. But, you know, I mean, Zelda is easily, easily over 100 hours. And that's just really, really huge. I did not put that much time into it. I got through it a lot quicker than that. I want to say it was probably more like, I don't know, 40 or 50. Because I was I was really like just I did the minimum amount of shrines. I, uh, you know, didn't do any side quests that I didn't think were really worthwhile. Uh, I mean, as, as kind of an example of like how quick I was trying to go through the game, uh, I did not even know that the Yiga ninjas were in the game. And, and this may not mean anything to you, Corey, or to, to some people who have not played the game. But in, in Zelda, there are these ninjas who are hunting Link down and they disguise themselves as regular people. So if you talk to like regular citizens, like every once in a while, you'll find one that is actually a ninja in disguise and they attack you and they're assholes. Um <laughs> I did not know these guys were even in the game until I got to like the boss of the ninja clan, which is like, you know, really, really far in the game. And my wife was just like dumbfounded that I was like, who the fuck are these guys? And she's like, Oh my God, have you not met these guys? These guys were like bugging me the entire game. But that's like how little I was talking to people because I was like, you're just going to, you know, I'm going to have to click a three times. You're going to tell me something I don't care about. And it's just gonna waste my time. So I'm going to skip this. So, I mean, I, I don't want to give the impression that I was like not playing the game because I really was. I mean, I was really enjoying it, having a good time and I spent, you know, a really significant amount of time on it, but you know, just certain things I felt like were not worth the time investment. So got it done. Um, finished all four divine beasts. I thought those were great. I thought most of the shrines were really fun. I really liked the climbing and the gliding. That's really cool too. Uh, I'm going to be writing an official second opinion on the game. Uh, this is a game that, Mike Susky, good old Mike Susky, gave a perfect 10 to on Game Critics. Uh, I knew he was going to because I knew he was in love with it, and that's fine. Um, he's not a person who gives, uh, who tries to give a 10 to every review, so I figured he, he could have one uh, for now. But we try to really stay away from 10s at Game Critics uh, and just try to give them out for games that really, really push the envelope, that really, really deserve it. So I felt like he made a good enough case in his review that was okay. Um, it is not a 10 for me. 
Uh, not at all. Uh, although I did really enjoy it and I really like it. And I think it's probably the best Zelda I've played in quite some time. Uh, I did have quite a bit of frustration with it at certain points. And I think that some of the decisions Nintendo made are just, just baffling, just really baffling. Um, I'm not going to go into the, all of them here, but look forward to my full review uh, when that comes out. I'm Because Mike's review was so positive, I'm probably going to be spending most of my time talking about the things where Zelda went wrong, just so that people who read both reviews will get kind of a, like both sides of it. It doesn't really serve anybody well to have two reviews, which just gush and gush and gush. I mean, I think Mike did a good job of, of selling the game in his main review. So for people who are listening and who will eventually go to Game Critics, don't think that I'm just trying to like tear the game down. I mean, I, I think that after reading a Perfect 10 review, I think it's only fair to talk about some of the things that Nintendo maybe didn't quite get right or maybe whiffed on a little bit. So that's kind of what I'm going to be doing with my review. Uh, but overall, I really liked it. Uh, I will say I was kind of disappointed, though, to end on the final boss the way that it did. This is kind of like a Dark Souls situation where um, in the first Dark Souls, you could parry, but you didn't have to parry. So it was very possible to get through the entire game. You could play for like 50 hours, never parrying once. You know, they I think they mention it like at the beginning of the game and then you just forget about it. Uh, and when you get to the end boss of Dark Souls, he's really, really, really hard unless you know how to parry. And like on the last boss of the game is not a good place to learn how to parry. <laughs> so that was a really frustrating situation for me. Kind of the same thing with Zelda. You can parry in Zelda, but like you don't ever really have to do it. Um, I got through like the vast majority of the game never parrying uh, or never doing like a flurry rush. Like I would try to do that. It's like when you dodge at the last second and then if you do it right, it goes into like bullet time and you get a few extra hits in on a guy. It's neat when you can do it, but I felt like the timing was really smushy. I never got good at it. So when you get to the last boss in Zelda, it's like you have to parry and you have to do bullet time. And it's really, really not a good way to go. Um, luckily, I had a couple of abilities which I could use to kind of support me in that. But it was a really frustrating fight and it sucked to kind of end on that note because I was having a really good time with it. And then to have that spike of frustration at the end was just not good. But anyway, overall... Really liked it a lot. I definitely recommend it, even to people who are kind of sick of Zelda. I think it is worth checking out. It's definitely one of the most interesting games critically this year. Uh, you know, not a perfect 10. I didn't find Jesus, but it is, <laughs> in general, worthy of all the praise. And I, despite the fact that I have a laundry list of problems with it, I, I do think it's pretty awesome. So I, I had a good time. I felt like the time was well spent, and I, I think it was, it was good overall. Really liked it a lot. Um, but one final thing to say is that I know Nintendo is really pleased with the success of Breasts of the Wild, and I think that's really great. Did I say Breasts of the Wild? Breasts of the Wild. I that's that's a movie I saw one time. That's not what I'm talking <laughs> about right now. Sorry, sorry, people. It is a good film though. Good film. Um, <laughs> but they're saying that this is going to be the template for Zelda games moving forward, and I'm just like, oh god, like this was awesome once. I don't know that I ever want to do it again. Like, and that may sound kind of weird, but like. I just don't know how they're going to do this again without really like repeating everything that they've done. I mean, yeah, they've got some good developers at Nintendo, some creative people, but you know, Zelda prior to this fell into some really bad habits and they got really, really stale for many years. Uh, if they're already saying this is the new template for Zelda, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, don't, don't do this again. You had a big hit and a, a deservedly so one, but don't do it again. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, but as of right now, Breath of the Wild, definitely a great game. Not perfect, but I, re I do recommend it and had a great time. So, And I'm done. I can finally move on to something else. <laughs> I'm done with Zelda. Amazing. 
My free time is mine again. So it's... Uh, are you really shocked, though, that Nintendo would put out a successful game and then just copy and paste it, like, three times before it gets starts getting really stale and then they change it up again because that's pretty much like Nintendo's MO with all of their franchises. Yeah, I can't say that I am surprised. I mean, we'll see what the the next thing they do is. But yeah, I just uh, I just the thought of like doing this again, as much as I enjoyed it, like I I don't know, they would have to change a lot of it for me to want to do that again because it's just such a huge undertaking and just exploring a land once is really fun. But like exploring it twice, I just I, I would not be up for that. So I know it's their MO. Hopefully they're not going to just fall right into that trap. But I don't know. We'll see. It'll be interesting whenever your review goes up. Because um, I, I don't really have any stakes in Zelda. Uh, I don't really play them. But um, uh, I feel like I might be mistaken on this. But, you know, whenever Mike's review went up, um, some people were commenting about, like, like, oh, well, if you complained about some stuff in the game, then how can it be a perfect 10? Which I think is, like, a valid complaint. Like, not super-duper valid, but, I mean, you think, like, if you give a game a perfect 10, then, you know, technically there wouldn't really be anything wrong with it. And yet there's also people who, uh, like, um, like the Jim Quisition thing where he gave, what did he give it, like, a 7.5 or something, and people were, like... Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, they were, like, trying to, like, burn down his house because, you know, he gave it a 7.5 and not a perfect 10. So I'll be interested to see if you're, whenever your review goes up, even if it's still relevant at that point, if... Um, like some of the people from his review like migrate over and they're like, oh yeah, this is the review that should have been the primary review. Or if you'll get the people that are like, how dare you complain about all this stuff about Zelda? It's perfect because I mean, Nintendo fans are like sometimes insane. So that'll be, uh, that'll be interesting, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, first off, my reviews are always relevant because they're my reviews. So <laughs> I don't know why they would not be relevant. <laughs> Um, but to kind of follow up on that, I do think that's actually a valid point. And, um, the score schema or the, the system that we use at game critics has been, um, an issue of contention for many, many years. And we don't put out like an official, like rating scale or anything. We kind of just, you know, we do what we want to do and kind of just feel our way through it. But, uh, I do think it's worth discussing that we definitely like as a site uh, and, and with me as the editor, we don't look at a 10 as being like a perfect game. Like there can be a game that is, um, you know, can have some mistakes or some flaws or something, but I think we kind of look at tens as more of like bringing a really original idea or some kind of something that's just really, really critically noteworthy. Like some, some new spin on a formula, some new concept that hasn't been done before, something that really pushes games as a medium forward or, or just breaks new ground. Like something that's just really kind of revolutionary in that way. So like if we if we had a game where it was just like a third person shooter or even oh, I'm sorry, I meant to say a first person shooter and it was like spotless, like it had like perfect controls, frame rate never dipped below 60, easy to reload, great cutscenes. But <laughs> if it was just reload. like, yeah, <laughs> that's what you know, I always whatever. look for in any shooter I play. If it's not easy to reload, man, that's like a four well, out of ten right there. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> games where it's hard to reload, they suck. <laughs> no fucking active reload either fuck you gears of wars i don't like that active reload but um uh, but you know if it was like if it was a known quantity like if it was a first person shooter and all it did was like it was just perfect like you know perfect graphics perfect music blah 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 like that wouldn't be a 10 to me like because it wouldn't really be bringing anything new to the table it would just be like a very great example of an established genre 
Um, so maybe we're taking a little bit more of an artistic slant uh, or a critical slant, perhaps. But yeah, like when we go to a 10, and of course it varies by writer too, but like in general, I think our philosophy is we save 10s for something that is like really, really important to look at. Like an important game, maybe it's not perfect, but it's like amazing in some way. It's got an amazing idea or it makes us look at games in a new way. Something that's just really, we should be talking about, we should be dissecting, we should be examining. Um, and if, if something is just simply a perfect example of of a known quantity, that, that to me is not a 10. So that's kind of how we operate. But again, depends on the writer, depends on the review, case by case basis. And uh, if any of our writers really, really, really in their heart of heart wants to give something a 10 that I don't think is a 10, I mean, that's fine if they make a good case for it. So, you know, we're flexible. It just, it just depends. It just depends. You know, and uh, all the games that I've reviewed at Game Critics so far, I've only given out one 10. Do you remember what that game was for, Brad? I certainly do not. You don't? No, man. I go through so many reviews every week. I got I got no disk space for that. What is oh, it? Oh, man. The only 10 out of 10 I've given for review at GameCritics.com was for Super Hot. Oh, Super Hot. That's right. Yeah, see, that in that case, I would be okay with that. Like, I like Super Hot. Uh, liked it a lot. And I think that was a, a case of where it really had a new spin on something. Like, it had a cool idea. You know, it had that meta story going on. Like, it was, you know... Uh, short game and an indie game kind of and uh but I, I think that is worthy like that's kind of what i'm talking about where it's like oh man this is like something new this is something critical examination worthy so i i think that's a that's an okay 10 i'm down with that <laughs> and uh, to give people kind of a comparison like i've been reviewing games for 17 years and i've only given i think maybe in i in all that time i've only given like maybe three maybe four perfect tens so like out of all that span of time that's the, you know that's how much uh you know how how unwilling i am to just give something that's just a really good game a perfect 10 like it's got to be something that's truly amazing so i don't give them out that often and uh, i don't think as a site we give them out all that often but yeah super hot I, I don't have a problem with that one good because you approved it whenever i wrote the review for it <laughs> bastard i did <laughs> Anyway, I think uh, that's all I got to say on Zelda. Uh, I I might dip into the DLC if it turns out that it's actually story-based DLC, like they're saying it was. Uh, but that's coming like at Christmas time. That's a long ways off. Uh, I'm certainly not going to dip in for the the tingle suit or the <laughs> whatever kind of radar they were going to put in or something like whatever. I'm not going mean, to ignore that stuff. But if there's new story DLC, we'll see. Otherwise, I'm calling it done, and that's going to probably be quite enough Zelda for me for quite a while. Cool. Well, odds are it'll take them a long time to develop a completely new Zelda game anyway, so you're off the hook for a little while. We shall see. Might be uh, here before you know it, depending on how much money they need to make, but uh, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Cool. Well, um, I don't have any games left to discuss, so are you ready to wrap? I am ready to wrap, sir. Wrap it up and put a bow on it. Cool. Well, uh that is going to be the end of our games talk, the end of our show for this week, uh, clocking in at just under two hours. Um, before we go, though, we would like to remind everybody that you can send us any comments, thoughts, feedback, show ideas, topics, uh, complaints, or not those, really, no. Um, anything you want to uh, sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I get those emails pushed to my phone, so anytime someone emails, I get it immediately, and then usually I forward it right to Brad, so uh, we are always happy to get your emails. Um, also, we are on 
Twitter as a collective. We are at So Video Games on Twitter. And last but not least, Brad and I both have our own individual Twitter handles. Brad, do you want to give yours out? Sure. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Brad Galloway, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. And I do my best uh, to respond to everybody who sends me a message, unless you're just an asshole, and then I will block you immediately. <laughs> but yeah, send me a message. Uh, I'm, I, I always try to uh, reach out to people who reach out to me. Excellent. And I am also on Twitter. Uh, I am at Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And I am probably not as good at getting back to people whenever they tweet me. So whoops on my part. But um, if it has anything to do with the show, then for sure. Um, But uh, yeah, that's my handle. Brad, do you have anything else to say before we go? Uh, not much except to say thanks to everybody who is listening. We had a great response last time, and I'm really glad that we're getting people to uh, just just be a part of the the growing So Video Games community. And a special, special thanks to you if you're actually listening at this moment and didn't shut the show off 20 minutes ago. So <laughs> thanks for listening to the whole thing. <laughs> Indeed. Um, if you make it to the end, then that's a pretty big deal for us. Uh But that's going to do it for this week. We'll be back next week for a fresh roster of games and some updates. Um, And that's going to do it, I guess. So until next week, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. See you next time.